Church Dads podcast. Join Mark Haas and Curtis Ketty as they discuss faith, family, liturgy, current events, and fatherhood. Be a part of the discussion by emailing churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Now, here are the dads. Hello and happy August. This is Church Dads, and we're glad to be back for our once a month podcast, um, Church Dads. And we have reason to celebrate because we are on iTunes, Curtis. Woo! We're official. That's right. So with your help, maybe not yours, Curtis, but with listening help, maybe we can climb the charts. Who knows? <clears throat> wow. Yeah, we'll have to have be more back. than two episodes to start climbing any kind of chart anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's good to be back, and today we've got a great show for you. Um, and should there be a theme, it would be something like, uh, what is the liturgy? Uh, maybe what is the church teaching about the liturgy, about the Mass, about the Eucharist? How does fatherhood um, play into this? And uh, anyway, a great show. But we just wanted to start with some kind of everyday dad stuff. Um, and, you know, Curtis, you and I were on the phone the other day, and I was pleasantly surprised to hear that you, like I did, also took your son William to see The Incredibles 2. And I went to see it as well, but we both went to see it unknowingly to see it with our eldest child for the first time. It was their first movie, right? That's right. Very first. How did it go? I'm curious. Well, you know, our children are different from each very. other. Um, but And I was very nervous. But And I wouldn't say that this was on the timeline. You know, I, I kind of wanted him to be a little bit older to go see a movie. But, you know, growing up for me, movies were super important in terms of my relationship with my dad and my brother and my mom you know we we just went to movies a lot we like watched the oscars like it was christmas you know like it was movies were were amazing and so going to see a movie with my dad was like a real bonding experience and um actually the very last movie that i saw with my dad before he died just um just less than a month before he died we were in singapore um, celebrating a Christmas holiday with him, and we went and saw The Incredibles. It was in the movies at the time, just come out. So that's the last movie I ever saw with my dad. So The Incredibles has always held like a sort of special spot in my heart. And so when The Incredibles 2 came out, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if the first movie I saw with my son was the sequel to the last movie I saw with my dad? So, you know, so I thought I'd stretch my comfort zone and actually take William to see a movie. And I was super excited, probably more excited than he was. And uh, we got there, I got some popcorn, and I got some fruit punch. And we went in, and here was my first mistake, Mark. Um, mm -hmm. We went to a, a morning screening on a Saturday. Or no, a Friday. It was a Friday morning screening. So they had all the lights on, number one before the movie started, all the lights were on and the the theater was swarming with small children. <laughs> like it was <laughs> it was like I walked into the world's largest kindergarten classroom and that is like my absolute worst nightmare. But you know, we got there, we sat down, we were surrounded by screaming children, so I didn't feel self conscious. The 
the thing was that William was ready to watch that movie. Like he wanted to sit down and watch it, but we had to watch like 20 minutes of trailers and then that Pixar short before the movie, which was bow about that little dumpling, which was, I thought was awesome. But I love that. But then, you know, I look at William and William looks at me. He's like, did that mommy just eat the dumpling? (laughs) Um, spoiler what? alert, spoiler alert. And I said, no, no, that's just, it was in her, I, I don't know how to explain this to a four-year-old. So mm-hmm. then the movie finally starts. And by then he's eaten, he's drank his whole fruit bunch. And we made it about an hour into the movie. And I, and he was just squirmy. And, you know, I said, are you okay? And he's like, this is not fun. I want to go home. And like <laughs> sort of the inside of me sort of is crushed and falls apart. And I'm like, okay, no, we, we can go. So we leave the movie early, a cardinal sin in my household growing up. But we leave, unless it was like The Bodyguard with Kevin Costner. There was some <laughs> offensive things in that movie, and my family had to leave early. Anyway, so I take William out, and I say, do you need to go to the bathroom? And he's like, no, wait, I'll wait till I get home. And I'm like, okay. We get in the car. About three minutes in the car, he's like, I really have to go to the bathroom. And so I broke the law and sped like a demon all the way home and got there. He went to the bathroom, went to play and he, and really what he wanted was to be able to pause the movie and go back to it. But so he went and just back down to the basement to play with Caleb, his brother. And I went to the room and cried myself to sleep. That was my experience. Um, what was your experience, Mark? Oh my gosh. Um, I feel bad now then I feel bad just saying, well, we went and we watched the movie and we ate our popcorn and our soda and we went and got we went and got frozen yogurt afterward and oh, that was our evening. That's nice. Oh, it was an evening also. So that's Yeah, nice. it was in the evening. Yeah. Well, it was an early, you know, five o'clock movie. Maybe you could tell our listeners um, how long it took for Julian to sleep through the night as an infant. <laughs> what when was the first night he slept through the night? I don't know. He was probably Less than a month in. Oh, interesting. Ours was 18 months in. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all three of ours were the same. So I don't like to say that because new parents might be listening. And Well, maybe they need that hope, though. They need the hope of a sleeping child. You know, it, no, they, I find that you need to know that the hosses are out there so that you have some place to channel all of your rage and envy. There is a family out there whose children are perfect and sleep at the drop of a hat. I remember Mark once told me that his little one-year-old Julian would want, who would actually come and say, "Can you put me to bed, Daddy? I want to, <laughs> yeah. I want to go to bed." And he would basically like have his eyes shut before he even put him in the crib. Meanwhile, I'm like wrestling my children, and William wouldn't even sleep in the crib. He wanted to sleep on like a mattress on the ground, like in squalor, like some sort of a squatter. But the important thing for both of us was, I think, I can speak for you, Mark, was that that time spent with our with our with our kids. Like there was this importance yes. in doing something with them, not just putting them in mm-hmm. front of a TV to watch something, but actually going and the whole experience of doing something with the kid was what was important. Yes, exactly. And that reminds me, I have a story for you. Okay. So I go out to mow my grass about a month ago, and. Um, it, it happens the way it always does. I go out, I get ready, I put on my, you know, dirty shoes, get ready to go. 
I walk out the door to mow the grass, and the same thing happens. Julian follows me. This is our oldest four-year-old, Julian. He follows me out to mow the grass. And so I go get my lawnmower, and he goes to get his lawnmower. His mother and I got him, you know, one of these little Fisher-Price lawnmowers. Okay. And he just loves it. He loves, quote, mowing the grass. And so I take my lawnmower. I rev it up. I'm sorry. First, I put gas in it. And so he puts the gas in his mower, the little plastic gas canky thing he has. <laughs> I, I rev up the mower with the cord. He revs up his mower with his little cord that makes noise. Um, I start mowing the grass in lines and in about 10 feet parallel to me, he's mowing the grass in lines too. Uh, and then, you know, I'll, it's everything he does. It's, it's, it's kind of adorable. Everything he does is exactly how I do it. So it's really hot. So I'll like wipe my face with my shirt. Maybe immediately he stops and he wipes his face with his shirt. Like he doesn't ask about it. He doesn't say, Daddy, why are you doing that? He just does it. He's like watching me, and he does the exact same thing. And so, so you've, I, I never keep taught him, you've never taught him how to do this? No, 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 no. And uh, so I didn't really think much about it other than, oh, it's pretty adorable. So I keep mowing the grass, and, and people are kind of smiling as they're driving past, you know, and they see this little boy mowing the grass. And then I'm, as, I'm, as I'm mowing, and he, he's still going, it takes me about an hour, but he just wow. constantly keeps doing it. Wow. And so I start to think about a little bit deeper about it. I'm like, this is, uh, I'm thinking like, this is discipleship. My son is displaying really what discipleship is. Mm. You know, he's, he, he just wants to model his dad, you know. He doesn't, um, he doesn't ask why a lot of times. He just sees what, I, what I'm doing, and he's trying to do it exactly, like exactly. And, um, you know, he's... He, course, I'm mowing the grass quite literally. He is not really accomplishing much physically, at least what we can see. He's not accomplishing much by way of the grass, other than maybe creating some lines in it that don't look so great. But, um, and I just thought that is like the perfect model of discipleship Hmm. is just my son trying to emulate what I am doing in mowing the grass. And it's so interesting because it's like an automatic impulse for your your kid Julian he's he's imitating you in particular he's not imitating um, somebody else he's imitating you which means that it's this impulse is coming out from a place of love for his dad that he's not he's not asking you how do you do it he's just following you and doing what you do because he wants to be like you it's really you're right Mark it's deep that's deep stuff mm-hmm. I know that explains why William um, you know, gets angry a lot. No, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) No, 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 no. But uh, yeah, no, this, so this is exactly, I hope anyway, how we, our relationship is with our Heavenly Father. And perhaps maybe we're trying to model ourselves after Christ, or perhaps the saints who, um, who see the beatific vision now. But, you know, it's, sometimes it might even feel like we're not accomplishing anything. Sometimes it might feel like we're not the grass is not being cut. In many ways, maybe it's not. But we're forming this loving relationship each day more and more. And I think in that regard, the analogy of mowing the grass is, um, you know, it's the Christian way of living. <clears throat> hmm. And that that impulse, I you know what, I think that, yeah, the impulse comes from a place of love and the fact that he's our Heavenly Father and we want to be like him. 
But I, I think that it's actually built into our very nature, our DNA, to be, you know, like we are made in his image. So we are, we have an, a natural impulse to imitate the creator. You know, we are creative. And then especially the ultimate act of creation is that, uh, you know, when a, a man and a woman come together in the sacrament, a sacrament of matrimony and actually bring forth life, I mean, we really get to participate in that act of creation. So I do think that, like, actually being created by God in his image, that we have this natural impulse to imitate, to imitate him. But then, yeah, I think it goes much deeper, especially, actually, when you consider the liturgy and the Mass. I think we see it there very much The greatest story, the greatest story ever told is written on all of our hearts mm. and uh <laughs> oh that that could be like a whole other show i can see your mind just the greatest story ever told yeah so hardwired good. this is a this is a perfect segue into our when we come back we're going to be we're going to take a little break but when we do come back we're going to talk about what the liturgy is what the mass is maybe what it's not um the eucharist how how it all may tie into fatherhood and don't forget um, ladies and gentlemen, that we have a wonderful guest coming on our show today, the one, the only, John Williams. Our first guest is John Williams. John I don't want to say too much. Williams. I don't want to say too much. I mean, right. we can't, I don't want to give it away, but it's good. I feel like that's all we need to say. John Williams is, is going to be on our show. Okay, good. So, When we come back, we're going to talk more Church Dad stuff. It's good to have you all stick with us. We'll be back. Join the show discussion. Email the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Follow the dads at facebook.com slash churchdadspodcast. Be a part of a revolution to empower the Christian family. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Okay, welcome back to Church Dads. We're glad to have you. We are now on iTunes and SoundCloud and Facebook, and you can email us any comments or questions at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. So we move on with the show, uh, but before we do, I've got an interesting question for you, Curtis. <clears throat> are you... A go left or go right kind of a person. No wrong answer. Just well, what know. context are we talking about? Is are, are we talking about line dancing? Are we talking about you know um, I don't know which watermelon I slice with my katana first? <laughs> like <laughs> what are we talking about here? Okay, all right, all right, all right. I'll give you some context. Okay, so you're praying your rosary. Oh, you get through the you get through the crucifix. You get through the first three beads. You get through. Uh, you get to the first decade. Okay, and you start it. And you you do your Our Father. You've I think anyway. You've got a choice here. Do you go left or do you go right? I guess I go right. Ah, well, you're probably right because every instruction I've ever read says go right. I go right. R I T E. No. Uh, I've always gone left. I don't know why that is. I just, you know, it just feels right. I'm not left handed. There is no right or wrong. In fact, you don't even need to pray the rosary to be a faithful Catholic. Nope. That's right. The rosary is just there to help you in your prayer life, and you can pray it however 
you like. Exactly. Not exclusive to Catholics either. So if you're interested in the rosary, it's a lovely prayer. But the reason I asked this question, because I have this rosary that I love. It is fantastic. And since this is like a manly dad show, you might say, yeah. um, I just have to like give these people a shout out. They didn't pay me to say this. We don't know each other. But check out Rugged oh, yeah. ro- Rosary. Check out guys. Rugged Rosary. I have if one. You are, yeah. I mean, women too, but if you're a dude and you want a dude rosary, because the rosary is a weapon, okay? Right, Curtis? The rosary is a weapon. Yes, it's, prayer is a weapon. And uh, That's right. Prayer is a weapon. And so if you want a manly, I just went to war kind of a rosary, go to check out Rugged Rosaries. They, they make these rosaries. They're out of like military grade, paracord. like climbing. Yeah, paracord. Yeah. And they're just like I just want, I always want a rosary that I can feel like I'm holding like I don't know how to say like yeah. that I can get tactile with you know what I'm saying, and I got a decade <clears throat> rosary so like it actually is like something I can tuck in my back pocket and doesn't get tangled Ooh, yeah. up. Now I want to I want to point out that the word rosary actually you know comes from the idea of roses or flowers. So each prayer that you pray is like a flower, like a rose that you're offering to God, which you know. Uh, now, just imagine those flowers as paracord, you know, <laughs> impenetrable beads that can be run over by, a, like, a truck. Yes. And, yeah, rugged rosaries. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Absolutely. They are at cordbands.com. So, like I said, we're not in communication, but we just, I'm glad to hear you have one, too. Yeah. yeah. But send, we just love them. Yeah, we, we love, love them, them. And send us free samples, please. <laughs> Ooh. Well, you never know, I guess. Edit that out. <clears throat> and okay. yes, and the rosary, uh, a Marian devotion, beautiful devotion, but centered on Christ and always directed always. toward Christ. So uh, try it out if you're not done a rosary. And try out rugged rosaries because, yeah, awesome. They're the bee's knees. Um, good. Let's move to our next segment here. We're talking about the liturgy, uh, perhaps ch- some church teaching, perhaps the Eucharist. Now, Curtis... Y- um, this particular portion of the show was somewhat of your idea, so I don't know if you wanted to kind of kick things off or what. Well, um, you know, we were talking about spending time with our kids and that story of Julian following you around with the lawnmower and sort of imitating you and really learning the art of lawn mowing just by being with you in your lawn mowing. And that very much reminded me of the sacred liturgy or the mass um, in which we get to participate in what God is doing. And, you know, our Heavenly Father is doing this great work, you know, through his Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The work of redemption is being accomplished within the liturgy, and he looks at us and actually invites us to participate in it. And I very much feel like a child pushing my Fisher-Price lawnmower next to my father who's actually mowing the grass. And I'm not really adding anything to what he's doing. But at the same time, because of his love for us, he wants us to join him and be a part of it. So that's why I thought, hey, this is a great opportunity to talk a little bit more in depth about what is the sacred liturgy, what is the Mass that we celebrate, just sort of in a general way. So Yes. Yeah. The word liturgy actually, you know, it comes from the Greek uh, liturgia, which literally means the work of the people. But unfortunately, I think that that word, 
that definition of that word has been used to distort what the liturgy is all about. You know, we think of the Mass, unfortunately sometimes, as the work of the people. Like that we're coming together to offer God something. You know, that we're, we're making something of our own. You know, we have the choir, we have this, we have that, we have our vestments, we have all of these things that we're putting together and we're sort of presenting it to God like a, a fancy package, nicely wrapped, sort of an act of worship. Um, but really, I think that we lose what the liturgy is actually about when we interpret that word liturgy so narrowly. Um, because, in fact, the, the other definition of liturgy, like when you look at it in context, was it was also used to describe an action of like a wealthy patron doing something on behalf of the people. So if you think of the work of the people like if we're going to think in modern times, in modern terms, you could think of like a graduation ceremony as a, like a modern secular liturgy, like a work of the people. You know, we have all of these rituals that we do with graduation. I would see this idea of a wealthy patron, I was trying to think what would be a modern equivalent of that. And I thought, well, we just celebrated the Olympics, you know, the Winter Olympics. And, you know, when one of these Olympic athletes, you know, wins an event, there's this ceremony where they receive a gold medal. And it, sure, it's that athlete who has earned that gold medal, but the national anthem for that country is played. And it's almost like that uh, athlete is, is acting on behalf of the entire nation that they represent. You know, like they've, they've achieved something. Um, and I think it is that second part, that second definition of liturgy that is really at play when we come together in the Mass. Yeah, well, well put, well described. And uh, I just want to go to like an extreme. Some extremes you might see, it really starts to come out, especially in the United States, when you're doing a liturgy outside of a Sunday. Let's say you're doing a funeral or you're doing uh, perhaps a wedding or something. When, okay, by the very nature of gathering all these people together, maybe it was because someone's passed away or someone's getting married. Um, it gets a little bit hairy and tricky when... Um, we might do a funeral and it starts to turn into like like a variety show. Like we'll put on a nice song, we'll put on a slideshow, we'll put up. And so when you're also celebrating the Mass and, um, you know, the presence of the Eucharist and these things, um, this is when you can really start to see some, um, I don't know, dicey liturgical activity because... <laughs> It's like, on the one hand, okay, we're gathering to celebrate the life of someone, or we're gathering to witness the nuptials of someone. But when you're there in the context of the Eucharist as well, it's sort of like, well, let's get our ducks in a row first, and let's, uh, we're, here for, we're here for the sacrifice of the Mass, and for God, and for prayer, and what we are offering is the Eucharist, not so much all of the bells and whistles. Well, you got, I think you got to be careful, because even in that description, Mark, you know, we, you can slip into thinking of it, like when you said, you know, when we gather to do this thing. But we don't gather at the liturgy. We are gathered, you know. This is the big difference between, you know, I grew up in the Protestant tradition where we had church services with a congregation. And as Catholics, we do, that is a foreign idea to us. We do not have a congregation who congregate. We have an assembly who are assembled. And we do not have a, a service that we're offering to God. We have a sacrifice that God is offering on our behalf. 
you know, and that he's asking us to join in with. So, I mean, whoa, what a huge paradigm shift. And so as soon as you start to think, okay, the mass is a sacrifice. The mass is something that is, that is always taking place. That this is the heavenly liturgy that is breaking into the now, like breaking into time, and that we get to participate in, that we get to join in with. Suddenly, the idea that we can innovate or add or do anything of our own, like we're starting something of our own, it all fades away because we realize what we're walking in on something that is already taking place. And the Catechism speaks of it very mysteriously. It actually says that within the Mass, within the Sacred Liturgy, the our redemption is being accomplished. Like the mission of redemption and salvation is being accomplished actually within the liturgy. It's not being remembered in the liturgy. It's being accomplished in the liturgy. So it's the eternal moment, the eternal now is taking place at the mass. And it's like puncturing into, into our time and space. And we, it's like heaven and earth are coming together. And suddenly we are a part of the climax of salvation history. There is Christ suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension all taking place, and we are participating. As he, is, as he is right now, as he is now. That's right. And a lot of people ask the question, it's okay, so we have the consecration, and through um, um, standing in the person of Christ, the priest, Christ is made present there now in, in the room. And so people say, well, is he like, is it a time transport from like 2,000 years ago? Or is it like, <laughs> no, it's like as Jesus exists now. <clears throat> That's right. And I'll take it a little bit even further because you're sort of leading to a question. It's kind of like, well, why are we at Mass? Like, why do we go? What, you know, what's our function? What are we doing there? And um, I thought for this show, this was a great analogy. Um, Father Mike Schmitz does this great analogy, um, kind of directed toward men, but for anyone, this is fine, but this is kind of a manly analogy, and, and play with me here for a second. Okay. So he's um, he's talking about like a sporting event, okay, like a football game or something. Okay. And he's like, okay, so a lo- the misconception, I think, in our minds is that when we, the assembly, go to Mass, maybe a lot of people might think that we're the fans, that we're watching something, um, so uh, which isn't true. So the misconception for I think a lot of people is the field, the football field. It's the altar. Uh, the priests, they're the players. We watch the priests. The assembly, they're the fans. Okay, but this is a misconception because the reality is, is when we walk into the doors of the worship space of the main church space, we are on the field. We're all on the playing field, and so. You know, would you rather watch the priest pray, or would you rather pray with the priest? Would you rather watch a baptism, or would you rather be a part of it by renewing your own baptismal promises, um, maybe just before? Would you rather watch the musicians sing, or would you rather sing with the musicians? So we're all um, on the playing field. We're all on the playing field. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and we are all called to a priestly nation at our baptism, so yes. while we're not we're not all there um, offering the sacrifice um, in persona Christi, we are all there sa- offering sacrifice as 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 uh, um, people called to a priestly nation. That's no matter right. who you are, by nature of your baptism, so we're all on the playing field. I think was the really great um, analogy that Father Mike used. Absolutely, and just like. You know, just like Julian with his lawnmower, 
Um, you know, we are called to to truly participate, and by participate, you know, we by participating, we actually are conformed into the image of the Son. Like the liturgy, it, the sacred liturgy is directed to the Father. You know, we pray with the words of Christ, the Son, to the Father. By through the Holy Spirit, we do this, and the idea that we are priestly people. You know, priests offer sacrifices, and what does St. Paul say that we are called to offer? Ourselves, you know, as a living sacrifice. And so Christ is there offering himself eternally as a sacrifice. And that we see that in the book of Revelation, you know, Jesus stands as a lamb slain and yet alive, you know, showing his wounds, interceding for the church as a great high priest, and he, he invites us to join our sacrifice of ourselves with him, to pick up our cross and participate in, you know, that sacrifice. You know, we do not go to Mass or come to church to get something. You know, we go to give everything. And I think that's a, a huge um, paradigm shift. You know, we when I was growing up, it was so tempting to just like sort of church hop looking for the music I liked, looking for the sermons and homilies that that spoke to me or that I agreed with or that challenged me that I really liked. The thing that really struck me about the sacred liturgy when I first sort of encountered it and was transformed by it was that this is not about what I'm getting out of the Mass. This is not about, wow, I go to that church because it really, quote-unquote, feeds my soul or whatever. No, I go to Mass to give my whole life, to, to offer myself along with Christ in this sacrifice for the redemption of the entire cosmos. That's why it's like the most important thing that we will ever be invited to do. And make no mistake, Mass is a response by us to an invitation to join in, in Christ's work. So it's no wonder that the church takes it so seriously that for me to just skip Mass, you know, I don't want to go one week, that that is... A, a mortal rupture of my relationship with God, because that's the Father reaching out in love and saying, I want you to join me in my work of redeeming the entire universe, and we going, well, I, I want to sleep in tonight instead, you know, <laughs> like, I, I, I don't have time for that. Like, that, that's a serious rupture of relationship. So that's why we take it so seriously as Catholics to participate and to always be in the Mass. Um, as active participants. Very good. See, I can't, you're like, you're, well, you're just the messenger giving us yes. the message yes. here. Okay, let me read you this quote. This is a quote from um, one of my heroes, C.S. Lewis. This is from <clears throat> Mere Christianity. And I always think good about book. this when I go to the Mass, and I think about this when um, I'm trying to live the liturgy in my regular life, like live out that self-sacrifice that self-emptying, cross-shaped life. So this is from Mere Christianity in a section called, Is Christianity Hard or Easy? And this is what he says, quote, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the natural self, 
all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit, I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. End quote. And for me, that is what the liturgy is about. We give up everything. We join ourselves to Christ, who offers himself as a sacrifice. And in doing so, we are conformed to him. We become like him. And when we receive the Eucharist, the greatest transformation, the greatest miracle, is not that the bread and wine, you know, change into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. No, the greatest miracle is that when we receive the Eucharist, we are transformed into the body of Christ. Yes, we are little tabernacles. It's incredible. Yeah, so, I mean, that... That's what. That's why I wanted to talk about it because that spending time with our children as they learn just by being with us what it means to be, you know, Mark or what it means to be Curtis, what it means to be their dads. That's such a fallen, broken shadow of what's taking place in the liturgy, where we, by participating in God's work, we actually become more like Christ, more like Him. So uh, that's that's why I thought I could, we could talk about it. Love it, uh, love it. Yeah. This is Church Dads Podcast. Please listen to us on iTunes or SoundCloud or Facebook or uh, whatever you got. We're um, hopefully accessible to you all. This is just half of the show, Curtis, because there's a lot of great stuff coming up here. Yes, and uh, we have a wonderful guest who's going to be on in a moment, John Williams. Um, okay, he's not, he's not actually John Williams, composer of such wonderful works as Jurassic Park and Hook and Superman, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Jaws. Harry Potter. Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> uh, we could go on and on. E.T. <laughs> but it is so actually a, uh, um, a fellow church dad here in Kansas who is in formation to become a permanent deacon. And so... We thought, who better to talk about being a dad and spending time with kids and the liturgy than somebody who works in the church and is also, um, you know, information to become a minister in that liturgy. So that's something to look forward to. Absolutely. So stick with us. We will be back soon with the John Williams. He's the to us. Yes, he he is the, the real one. That's right. He's not Johnny. It's actually Johnny Williams is the one who, he goes by Johnny. There's a little inside tip for you. If you ever meet John Williams, a composer, don't call him John. That's Johnny Williams. That's right. So we'll be back with John Williams. This is Church Dads. Like what you hear? Have a question concerning family, fatherhood, or faith? Email the dads at Church Dads Podcast at gmail.com. Be a part of the discussion as we seek to strengthen our Christian witness in the home. This is the Church Dads Podcast. So, welcome back to Church Dads. Uh, we are joined now graciously by John Williams, who is a church dad himself of many sorts. He is a couple years into diaconate formation. Um, he is the director of 
um, faith, adult faith formation of sorts of Queen of the Holy Rosary Catholic Church in Wea, Kansas, and he has four, God bless him, daughters. You're going straight to heaven, my friend. Welcome, John. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I do hope I get to go straight to heaven because <laughs> it's a lot of ponytails involved in those girls. Ooh. Now, what are the ages of your girls? Youngest to oldest, three, six, 10, and 15, all with birthdays to come. So we have a sweet 16 coming. Wow. wow. Yeah, I have two daughters. Curtis, you have one lovely goddaughter of mine. Um, four daughters. That's amazing. How? What is it like to be the dad of, well, just being a dad in general, but maybe, maybe you can speak to these dads who have daughters. The only guy in the house. Yeah. This is right. So uh, I'm the only guy. And I, I would add that recently, more recently, we were uh, gifted uh, the honor of being a god godparents to yet another daughter. So in sorts, that's number five. Um, what is it like? Uh, I tell people all the time, being a girl dad is like having a musical in your living room every night. They sing, they play, they want to do all that stuff. And um, it's actually a lot of fun. And we get to goof off and play around. And um, it's the, the only really, really hard thing about it is dating your daughter. Because that's four daughters to date plus my wife per month. And <laughs> that can run short and that can be tight. So we have to be crafty with that. that that's been difficult. So what do you mean by dating your daughter? So in dating the daughter, uh, the, the, per, or the, the goal would be to give them a witness of how they should be treated. So they experience etiquette. They experience uh, a, a guy who is really just there to, to look after them, to protect them, to do things like they're walking on the inside of the sidewalk, not the outside, to open the doors for them, to wait to eat until they have their food, to do all those little things that and model that behavior that one day you hope, if they're called to vo the vocation of matrimony, some young man will do for them. So you, you're taking act, you're calling it dating your daughter, but you guys actually go on a date and call it that. Yeah, we've been on dates. I've been to uh, restaurants. I've daddy daughter dances and various things. But wherever we go, opening doors and and those little subtleties, those those keys to etiquette that sometimes are are missed or someone says well they can open their own doors i say, oh, well i know they can they're very you know there's they're very strong but that's not the point um because they're worthy and they're god's creation and i want to do this for them and they deserve it right you know we're talking today about you know how important it is for fathers to spend time with their children and just parents in general to spend time with their children because you know that participation in the life of a parent forms them more than even words could form them because they're watching by example they're getting to participate so like beyond just showing them what it means to be taken care of you know and really treated well by a man um, why do you think it's important for you to even make time to spend with your daughters on a regular basis i think time's the most valuable thing we have i mean money will come and go health will come and go um, but time really just goes it's one second to the next and the old adage the cliche is you know the kids grow up fast it's probably the most true cliche i've ever heard hmm. and the one i hate the most too because they <laughs> really do 
with my oldest going to, she's going to be a junior this year, and it was like yesterday, I was taking her to preschool with a comb in hand because I didn't know how to comb her hair and make ponytails. And now she's going to be a junior, she has her own car, she's kind of moving up in the world, talking college, and the reality of her leaving our home is is uh, pretty imminent. So taking that time um, and, and, and using it wisely is essential because it's going to run out. And you're going to have either witness to them, you know, the values of, of Christianity, you're going to, and, and thus have spoken loudly to them, or you're going to not have done that. And you don't get a redo. It doesn't come back. So time can be a, a wonderful gift if used right. God gives us 24 hours a day to do our best and, and one day at a time. Um, but those seconds and those minutes really add up and nothing can be more true than when they start high school because when my oldest started high school uh, more so than kindergarten or any other grade it took me maybe two months to really come to terms with that that this ends probably with college um, this ends with her leaving us and that reality set in pretty much the hardest with uh, the start of high school and time actually became a lot more precious so even that experience you know it's one of those things I, I wish I would have known more about that before then because in a parochial setting they're kindergarten through eighth grade you feel like you have a lot of time and then they hit sky, high school and you're like this is going to go so fast where did time go and uh, we have to be conscious of that and, and conscious of, of what we're doing day to day um, so right now, I mean, as Mark has mentioned a couple times, you are in the f- formation process of discerning to be a permanent deacon in the church. Um, so I have a two-fold question for you. One is, you know, how has that discernment been for you? Like, how did you even get to the place where you were thinking, you know, this might be something I want to discern? But two, you know, like being a dad is so crazy, at least in my in my experience, like it's just so crazy. Like there's just tons of stuff going on all the time. So, how did you get to the place where you were discerning the diaconate at all? Got it. So the discernment came on a trip. I was a surveillance officer checking on kids on house arrest, actually, in Baldwin City. I know the exact spot I was when Archbishop Nauman was talking about the permanent diaconate. And being a convert, this is in 2010. So being a convert to the faith, I came in in 2008, 2010. I have never seen a deacon in my life. I don't know what a deacon is. I hear this radio show. I pull over because the radio is going to cut out. I just know it does. I've been here before, and I really want to hear this. And I listened to the show. Was, you know, probably caught 20 minutes of it. He's talking about a deacon, what a deacon is, what, you know, the whole scenario, brand new to me. And I thought, wow, that's really impressive. That sounds awesome. I have no frame of reference for that. Go home, ask my wife, Tessa, I say, what is a deacon? She says, oh, you'd be a very good deacon. I say, great, but what is it? He says, oh, it's the guy that does benediction on Tuesday nights at the church. Oh, okay. Well, what's benediction? And so we're starting from, like, bottom floor. Like, we're just starting to build this uh, vision for what this is. Uh, whatever it was, I knew that I was really interested. Now, now, it's been seven years since you listened to that radio station, or there about, you know, on the deacon. So how would you define a deacon now? Seven years later, what is a deacon? Oh, buddy, that's a big question. I would say a deacon uh, is, 
Well, as deacons, you know, we're going to be ordained to the person of Christ the servant. I think Dan, Deacon Dan Peterson put it so well our first year. He says the point of formation, especially for you since we're all married in this cohort, is for your heart to grow and grow big enough that it can consume, it can contain within it both your vocation to matrimony and your call to holy orders. And so a deacon is going to be someone who has the heart of Jesus and shares that with others. Does that answer the question? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and you referenced this mountain you're climbing in five years. But, of course, and this is for everyone, we'll be continuing to climb this uh, mountain Uh, for the rest of our lives, really. So I could tell you're the right man for the job. And I don't know if you know it or not, but you've been nominated for 51 Oscars under the category (laughs) of film music original score. John Williams. (laughs) That's right. It's what I do in my side time, you know, my my off time. (laughs) Make pancakes and and compose Oscar-winning scores. And ponytails. And ponytails, yeah. Now, uh, earlier we were talking about the Mass, and um, how the Mass relates to uh, being a father and spending time with your kids. And uh, as, as a deacon, I know one of your roles is to be a minister at the Mass, you know. And so you're doing a lot of studying of the Mass, and I know you have a great appreciation for the liturgy of the Church. Um, where do you see the fatherhood of God revealed in the Mass? Sure, so... We see the Mass, we come, and um, the way I've kind of situated it in my mind is, is within the liturgy, you know, God speaks in the readings to us. We respond in these psalms. God speaks to us in this gospel. Um, and ultimately, he comes to us in the Eucharist. So we have direction, we have guidance, we have this... Um, you know, the Bible has a love letter, as I would, one way I would say it. Um, and, but yet, he comes to us. And as far as fathers go, how appropriate is this with our, with our children? Uh, where we speak, but we also listen. Uh, they listen. There's a dialogue. There's a conversation. But ultimately, uh, there's an encounter. And those are important elements of any human life, but especially as fathers. Um, as we know in our society, we, we see, you know, we hear about this lack of fatherhood, this lack of participation. Um, but is that not just a great answer? We, we not only need to speak to our children and dialogue and be willing to listen to them, but we need to be encountering them. It's kind of the point of a, a daddy-daughter date or... Um, even driving lessons with my oldest child, Angelina, that's uh, very nerve-wracking. But what trust we're building, I'm showing her by sitting in that seat with her. And so God, you know, who humbles himself in the Eucharist, that he may come to us. He doesn't want to just superficially be on the outside. Uh, He wants us to consume him because he wants to be within us. How intimate is that? And, And so this dialogue and this conversation... I've grown to really, especially in the last few years of formation, um, appreciate and look for God's voice in the Mass more so than before. I know he's there to such a degree that I sense his presence. I don't really care if he says anything, but when he does, it tends to be about the sweetest thing you could hear is when God speaks to you. 
Fantastic. We have John Williams with us, and I can already tell that the men and women of faith at Queen of the Holy Rosary are blessed to have you, and um, I hope your deacon formation just continues to, to thrive. Um, I hope people listening may be considering being a deacon. Who knows? And so, we're going to take a little breather here. When we come back, we're going to go into our, it's like our question and answer period, John. So, if you could stick with us, you can kind of help us with that, and we're going to go through some interesting questions we've collected from one of the presbyters. Um, So we'll get into that and be talking with you um, soon. So church dads, talk to you soon. Join the show discussion. Email the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Follow the dads at facebook.com slash church dads podcast be a part of a revolution to empower the christian family this is the church dads podcast welcome back to church dads we have three of them here right now uh myself curtis and john williams is still with us he's going to help us with some of these questions uh, as we probably will need help i don't know uh, we're lucky enough to get uh, questions submitted from you, and if you'd like to do that, please do churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. This question comes from Father Andrew Strobel, who is ministering at St. Paul II Parish in Kansas. St. John Paul II. <laughs> I'm sorry, St. John Paul II, not to be confused. So let's just get right to it. We got a question here that uh, I think is interesting. It's, how do you identify lives worth imitating to your children. So these are lives of people maybe living, uh, maybe not, but lives that your children can identify as someone as maybe a role model. I mean, um, and, and something I think that Father Andrew put in that question, he put a link to a, an image of, yeah, of a, of a man at an ordination lying prostrate on the ground. You know, as part of the ordination, you know, these men who are about to be ordained lie flat on their face, a sign of you know humility and being a servant, like John was saying earlier. And next to the man was a little toddler who was just imitating him, also lying prostrate on the ground. Um, not he should not have been out of his pew, you know he was breaking one of the rules, but that's okay because in this case you have this beautiful image of this little boy imitating this this priest. And um, in a way, I think that, that that picture answered the question that he was posing because for me anyway, you know, what, what true, for my, when I look at my sons, for example, the true, uh, true masculinity, to be a true man, would be to look at Christ. You know, he is the definition of true manhood. And that, what does that look like? It looks like emptying yourself you know, becoming a servant, and even to the point of death. And so identifying those lives out there where it's just that kind of self-emptying, cruciform life or a cross-shaped life, or that kind of love. And that's really hard to find. But when you find it, you know, uh, it's so it's so obviously the way it's supposed to be. You know, there's there's a line in a, a wonderful book, which I recommend, called A Severe Mercy, which is the, 
is by an author called Sheldon Vanaken, and it's kind of an autobiography of his own conversion. Um, and his conversion was brought about largely um, through a correspondence with C.S. Lewis, which is included in the book, A Severe Mercy. And he talks about when he fell in love for the first time. With, um, and that's another part of the book is this deep, deep love he had for his wife who passed away very young. And he says, you know, love is like a lion in the middle of a, a forest. You know, you're, you're in the middle of a dark forest and you hear a sound and you go, ah, is that a lion? Is that a lion? But when the lion roars, you know damn well it's a lion. <laughs> and, you know, when you see that kind of cruciform love, the love that, that we are called to, you know damn well what it is. And I, so I think, you know, we, number one, as dads are called to live that life for our children, you know, that sort of self-emptying love. But I think that we look to the saints um, also because the saints are just demonstrating what it means to imitate Christ. They imitate Christ, and then we imitate them imitating Christ. Absolutely. And I almost thought of this question in reverse uh, because so many times I think we're, we're asked to be dad and we're asked to be the do-it-all, know-it-all. It's dad, and he's superhero, or at least to young kids a lot of times. And so I think, but even with young kids, we shouldn't be afraid to turn the turn the mirror a little bit and say, you know what, son or daughter, um, you are, you, that was, that was impressive to me. You're a hero to me. Um, you know, affirming our kids or saying, I'm proud of you or, um, and, and so, you know, or if we're wrong to not be afraid to admit that we were wrong. And I think by demonstrating humility to our kids, um, when they're going out into the world seeking role models, I think they'll just naturally be seeking a humble person. Cool. Kind of interesting. Luckily, we have a second question from Father Andrew, who is, um, like many priests, prepping families for baptism. And so he says, as a priest, I would love to hear your thoughts on improving baptism preparation, not necessarily what the parish could do, but what could parents do to be open to the graces available for their family. You go for it, John. Uh, all right. I'm, I'm the guest, right? So go. Yeah, you're the guest. Uh, what could they be doing to open themselves to the graces? Uh, so, I, you know, I hear this question, and there, there's a lot that kind of comes to mind. Uh, what could they be doing? They themselves, you know, it starts in prayer, and, and I mean, we couldn't say that enough, to develop an interior life. Uh, they have to have a concrete vision for what God's called them to as far as mission. Okay, so if they're married, there's a vocation. But what does God want from them in within the context of that that uh, marriage, and how can they open the graces of their marriage to the world, and be missionary minded and be witnesses to others? So they need to really be able to pin down that question. How, you know, that could be through spiritual direction, uh, which I would encourage everyone to have a spiritual director uh, to help answer these questions. We don't have to go it alone. It's it's just not necessary, and so. If, if, you, if I said, do you know how to pray, and you're not sure, or you say no, that's the first step. We have to have that, that conversation with God in order to have the right relationship. If we are able to talk to him and we're not putting ourselves in a position to hear him, then we're going to be less able to uh, understand the mission and, then, uh, and necessarily the graces that we need 
or the fact that we even need graces to be married mm-hmm. and to carry out this mission that we're called to. Um, and I think it starts there. Um, I'm just, I looked up real quick what a parent is promising when they bring a child for baptism. So I think, you know, even as you're entering marriage and, you know, you're being open to, to life, to bringing life into the world, and then, you know, that you're going to be bringing that life to Christ and handing over that life, you know, and they're going to die to their sin and be born again, you know, a new creature. And you're making a promise when you do that. And the promise that you're making is um, the priest asks the parents to respond. He says, you have asked to have your child baptized. In doing so, you are accepting the responsibility of training him or her in the practice of the faith. It will be your duty to bring him or her up to keep God's commandments as Christ taught us by loving God and our neighbor. Do you clearly understand what you are undertaking? And the parents say, we do? Yeah. But I think the, the, main, the main thing there for me is, you know, they're committing to train their child in the practice of faith. And what does that look like? You know, what does faith ultimately look like? And I think that's the, the main question, because if you're going to train someone in the practice of faith, you need to be practicing faith. You know, you need to have that faith in your own life. Um, that's why I often compare faith to a chair. Um, and so the analogy is, you know, there's a chair in the middle of a room, and, you know, I can look at the chair, and I can investigate the chair, and I can come up with theories that, you know, yes, that chair looks structurally sound, and I know if I sit in the chair, it will hold my weight, and all will be well. But, you know, until I actually go over... <laughs> and sit in the chair, I do not have faith. You know, I just have this sort of intellectual belief, this assent. It's like I could have a PhD in chair mechanics, (laughs) um, but until I actually go over and sit in the chair, I've not practiced the faith. Um, And to take it, the analogy even further, now imagine if the chair is like rickety and weak looking, or even worse, invisible, you can't see it at all. In order for me to even know that the chair is there and that I must sit in it, I need to see someone else sit in the chair. Like, that needs to be demonstrated to me. Um, and so, faith is a gift, because faith is something that is truly given to us. It's demonstrated for us in a very real way. And to take it even one step further, I think our faith, you know, is traced back to Christ himself. And it wasn't a chair that he sat in, it was a cross that he picked up. And so he looks at us and he says, now pick up your cross and follow me to suffering, humiliation, and death. <laughs> and if you do that, you will experience life and eternal peace and joy. I mean, that is the ultimate act of faith. It's like we will follow you even with a cross on our backs. So if we are wanting to bring our children for baptism, the truest preparation for that would be to pick up our cross, to sort of to, to go to God in prayer and say, God, grant me the courage to follow. Give me the faith that I need to sit in the chair to demonstrate that for my children because we actually cannot do it on our own. I think we'd all agree we, we would fail. 
So in terms of like actual prep, um, practical preparation, mm -hmm. I think it needs to begin when you're engaged. <laughs> you know, you haven't even been married yet. You need to start praying together as a couple. And then when you enter into marriage, you need to begin to live that sort of self-sacrificial life. I know it's hard, but like it's that self-sacrifice that we live out every day, that kind of self-sacrificial love that um, where you're totally dependent and you're resting your entire weight on that chair, that is what, that is what will train your children in the practice of faith, I think. John, thank you. Oh my goodness, what an us. honor, what a pleasure. I uh, hope I did your show justice. I, I consider it an extreme pleasure and honor to sit with you guys and discuss these things and uh, just uh, hope that you experience great success in future shows. And hopefully you will bring in a few other listeners because as you know right now, it's actually just <laughs> Curtis's mom and my mom who listen to the show. So. I'll try, I'll try. <laughs> so yeah, Tell your friends about us. This is Church Dads. And uh, Curtis, please take them away. Yeah, so uh, make sure to email your questions to churchdadspodcast at gmail.com for the next show. But um, until then, go home and love your families. Love your families.